Good evening. It's good to see everyone tonight. Certainly appreciate you being here. Brother Tony is in a fall series down at uh, Red Hill in Coffee County. We read in Hebrews 11th chapter and in verse 1 the definition of faith that we're all familiar with. The Hebrew writer defines it as the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I came across a story while I was studying that illustrates this point pretty good. Around 100 years ago, there was a man in Paris, France, who was a tightrope walker. And he astounded the crowds in Paris and throughout Europe with his ability to walk that tightrope. He would string it from the highest buildings in town. And he would walk back and forth across there. And as he gained in his ability, he began to walk blindfolded back and forth across that tightrope. Then, for his piece de resistance, he began to put a wheelbarrow in front of him, blindfolded, pushing that wheelbarrow across that tightrope. Well, in America at that time, there was a promoter who, when he read that story in the paper, he saw dollar signs. He found out a way that he could make some money off of it. So he wrote to the tightrope walker, and he told him, he said, I don't believe that you can do this. I propose a challenge. I want to string a tightrope across Niagara Falls. I want you to come here and prove to me you can do it. And I will pay you a substantial sum of money. I will pay your transportation fees as well. The tightrope walker wrote him back, I'll take your challenge. So the promoter did what a promoter does while he was waiting on the Frenchman to get there. He promoted that all throughout the Northeast. So when the day came that they would have this challenge, there was a huge multitude of crowd gathered together all around Niagara Falls as they watched that line strung from the Canadian side to the American side of Niagara Falls. And the tight walk, walker, as he began... He went across, across it first with his eyes open to get the feel of it. Then he walked across it, blindfolded, and back. And then, finally, he gets his wheelbarrow out, still blindfolded, and he goes across the falls, landing on the American side. When he reaches the American side, he takes his blindfold off, and he goes up to the promoter. And he says, now, Mr. Promoter, do you believe that I can do this? And he said, why, well, of course, I just saw you do it. I know that you can. He said, no, 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 no. Do you believe that I can do it? Yeah, I just witnessed what you did, of course. No, 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 you don't understand me. Do you believe that I can do it? He says, yes, I do. He said, good. Get in the wheelbarrow and we'll go back across. Now, it's one thing to say we have faith. It's another thing to show it. Faith is something that can be demonstrated by the way that we live. 
James said in the second chapter, and in verse 18, Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Tonight we're going to study from Mark, the second chapter. You'll be getting your Bibles. Mark, the second chapter, verses 1 through 12. We'll also be alluding to Matthew and Luke's commentary or writing on the same happening in the life of Christ. Now, as we get to verse 5, we're going to pay special attention to that verse, as was read. When Jesus saw their faith. Now, some will say that faith cannot be seen. It's not a tangible thing. It's not part of the physical world. But it can be seen. We just read that it was. Faith can be seen. Let's look at our scripture for tonight. Begin with verse 1, Mark 2. And again, he entered Capernaum after some days. And it was heard as he was in the house. Now this occurs during the first year of Jesus' ministry. He had been all throughout the towns of Galilee, preaching and healing. And now he returns to his home base, to the city of Capernaum. And we can gather that Word had spread throughout the town that Jesus had come home. And the crowds began to gather. Because we see in verse 2, Immediately many gathered together, so there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. The house that he is in is quickly filling up. Picture that house, if you will. Picture Jesus sitting in that main room. And the crowds are pushing in, trying to get near, trying to get close. And they're spilling out of that main room. And they're filling up the other room. And they're spilling out the front door. Crowding all around that house. They're ready. They're wanting to hear the Word of God preached unto them by Jesus. Now Luke tells us, in his account of this, in the fifth chapter, and in verse 17, that as he was teaching, there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. So we see there were dignitaries there, very important people in the Jewish religion who had come from all around. They'd come with a purpose. They'd come to hear His words, to see His works. And being who they were, they were suspicious. They would be watching. They would be waiting to see if they could entrap Him and catch Him. So now verse verse 3. Then they came to Him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. Now, as that crowd on the inside pushed and struggled to get near, to get close to Jesus, the scene changes from the inside to the outside. And we see four men coming down the street. And they're carrying a friend on a stretcher or a mat. We see there's a friend at each of the four corners of the mat. And they're coming down that street. They're carrying their friend. And they're coming to see Jesus. They're taking their friend so that he can be healed. But as they come to the house, they see that everything is crowded. They come too late. 
Did you ever do that? Did you ever leave for some show or some sporting event? And you think you've left early enough, give yourself plenty enough time. But you get there and forget about getting in. You can't even park a parking place. There's nowhere to park and they're parked illegally. And you turn to the people that's in the car with you and you say, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Well, I'm sure that's what these four did at this time. That was the question they asked themselves. What are they going to do? Because they had come from where? We're not told. Did they come from across the street? Did they come from across town? Did they come from another village? We don't know. The Scripture is silent on that. But I'm sure that they were tired from carrying their friend. I'm sure they were hot. They were weary. They were dusty. They were aggravated. And they were probably mad at themselves now for not getting there early. We've all been there. So what are they going to do? Look at all those people spilling out of that house. And I think they might have tried asking for the people to move. I think they might have approached the people and asking them to have compassion on their friend. Won't you let us through? Would you mind moving? Well, just, just take a minute. I just want to get my friend to Jesus. But I kind of get the sense it'd be like going out to Walmart on the day after Thanksgiving, Black Friday. Never been there, never want to be there. But let's say, guys, you see in that Walmart paper, they've got a big 70-inch flat-screen TV. Oh, and they've got it cheap, and we've got the money, and we want that. You can't carry it by yourself. So you call up your buds. Have them help you. You all all go in there, and you go to the back of the store, and you pick up that flat screen, and you're trying to hold it and get it there. You don't want it to fall and break the screen, and you don't want to knock off those candles and that glassware, and you're, you're struggling to get it down the aisle, and you, you come up behind that long line everywhere you see. There's people everywhere. And so you'd ask, do, do you mind letting me through? Can, can I get in front of you? I've just got one item. Can, can I get through? think you'd have any luck. I think you'd be lucky to get out alive. Well, that's how I see these four. They've tried everything and they have no luck. What are they going to do? Verse 4. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. Now the roofs in that day and age were flat. And they were constructed with beams across the sides. And these beams were generally laid out at three to four foot apart. Now across these beams, they would lay brushes and reeds and branches and mud and grass and clay. and They'd all pack that hard and then make it real thick, the roof. So now this is what these four friends have to dig through. That's what they have to cut through. And remember, they're going to have to cut a pretty good-sized hole to get that pallet down because they've got to get their friend to Jesus. Now, Think about what they were doing. They had come 
to ask a very famous, prominent man, Jesus Christ, they'd come to ask him a favor to be healed. And he is surrounded by dignitaries. He's surrounded by the rich and famous. And he's speaking. He's teaching the crowd. And you're going to disturb him because you're going to begin to cut a hole in the roof. And as you cut that hole in that roof, what it's made out of, that debris, that material, is going to get to fall. We can notice probably the people as Jesus was teaching, they begin to look up, they hear something, they see that falling, and then the hole gets bigger, then it keeps getting bigger, then sunlight comes into that room and floods it because this great big hole is cut. And then suddenly it's darkened again. Something is coming through that hole. And it's, it's let down. It's lowered. It's lowered. And remember now, everybody's packed in. As that is lowered in front of Jesus, people begin to push back. There's nowhere to go. They're stepping all over one another. I imagine they're hollering, they're screaming, they're pushing others out of the room, they're pushing still more out of the house. They caused a commotion. But these men meant for their friend to see Jesus. They were going to see that their friend was going to be healed. They had heard of Jesus. They may have heard Him talk. May have heard His words. Heard that He was the Good Shepherd. They may have heard him say that he was the physician and he would that all come to him for healing. That's what his friend needed. He needed to be healed. And they were bold enough to believe Jesus meant what he said. They were bold enough to believe Jesus meant what he said. And they acted on that faith. They acted on that belief. They were willing to go beyond what was acceptable behavior. You know, even 2,000 years later, it's still not acceptable behavior to cut a hole in somebody's roof. But they did. But they did it. Their faith was bold. We need to know and understand that there is a boldness that comes by believing deeply that God means what He says. There is a boldness that comes by believing deeply that God means what He says. Let me give you an illustration. Suppose in the business world you work for a boss and you know from his behavior that he does not care about his employees. He rarely speaks to them. He does not brag on them at all. He does not reward their service. He he is never accessible to them. Now, if you've got a boss like that, you might be a little hesitant. You might be a little reluctant in approaching him. You might be a little timid or shy if you've got a request. You may want something. You may need some time off. You may think you need a raise. He's difficult to approach. But let's say you have a boss who's warm and caring. One that has shown that he cares by... by uh, uh, bragging on your work, that uh, uh, regards your service with raises and makes himself available to you. Now, when you've got a boss like that, 
you can approach Him with boldness if you feel like you need something or you want something. Where do you get that boldness from? Because you know that He cares. Boldness is the word that the Hebrew writer uses in the fourth chapter and in verse 16 to describe how we are to approach the throne of grace. We approach it, he says, with boldness. Because we have a God. We have a Creator that has shown His love, His care, and His mercy towards us. He has made salvation possible to all of mankind, to each one of us. And He gave His most precious possession, His Son, to die upon that cross, to shed His blood, because He loves us, because He cares. Now, because of that, we can approach Him with boldness. Why? Because we know, we know that He cares. Well, now that's how these four approach Christ, with boldness. Because look at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. He saw their faith. It wasn't something that they wore. It's what they did. Their faith was evident to Jesus. And he gave that paralytic what he most needed, forgiveness of his sins. But we have questions arising. Look at verses 6 and 7. And some of the and some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? These dignitaries, they began to murmur, they began to complain, they begin to think secretly in their heart and in their minds things about Jesus. They said he was a blasphemer. No, they were right in saying that only God can forgive sins. They were right. But they were wrong in not seeing that Christ was God. They were wrong to deny Him His deity. They were wrong to deny Him His power to forgive sins. Now, Jesus being God, He knows this. Because look at verse 8. But immediately, when Jesus perceived in His Spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your heart? Why do you reason about these things in your heart? See, they were thinking that Jesus was not God. They were thinking that he were blaspheming. And Jesus was going to show them now that indeed he had the power to forgive sins. Because he's going to do something right before their eyes. Because we know if he can forgive, if he has the power to forgive, he has the power to heal. If he has the power to heal, he has the power to forgive. So, look at verses 10 and 11. Uh, verses 9 and 10. Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say arise, take up your bed and walk? but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, verse 11, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. But to know, so that they would know, 
so that not just these Jewish dignitaries, but everyone who was there witnessed this so that they would know. He first asked a question. He said, which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say to one who is paralyzed, arise and walk? Which is easier? Why, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven. There's no way to test it. There's no way to prove it. That's the easiest thing to say. The harder thing to do would be to perform a miracle right there before them. That could be tested. Now see, these scribes and Pharisees, they thought Jesus was looking for an out. That's why he said that, your sins are forgiven. That's because they couldn't test it. He couldn't be proven a fraud before the people. So that's why they were murmuring, complaining, besides thinking that he had blasphemed God. But he said, just to prove to you that I can. Imagine you're in that room. You've heard that. Tension is filling the air at this exchange between Jesus and these dignitaries. And every eye is on that paralytic right in front of Jesus. As he tells him, arise, take up your bed, and walk. What happens? Look at verse 12. Immediately he arose took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Immediately. Not the next minute, not the next hour, not the next day, not next week. Immediately. He went from one moment being one who was paralyzed to having full body health. Immediately. Can you see that? He laying on that pallet and he jumps up rolls up that pallet, takes it, and leaves. Remember, it's crowded in there. He had to, excuse me, get out. And I'm sure the people moved as he came through. Now, a companion scripture says that he glorified God. Another says that everyone witnesses it glorified God. It says they were amazed. Matthew and Luke says that they were afraid. They said, we've never seen anything like this. There he is going down the street. I'm sure he's jumping and yelling and crying and screaming and praising God the whole time. Let's not forget, even though the Scripture is silent, four friends up on that roof. They witnessed that. All that they went through, all the struggle, and they're seeing their friend. They're seeing him healed. I know that they're hugging one another and they're probably crying and they're high-fiving one another. Yes! As they watch their friend go down the street. This is a beautiful picture of the love and the compassion of God and of Jesus rewarding the faith of these individuals. Let's look briefly at three aspects of their faith that needs to be a part of our faith. First thing, Jesus saw four men that cared. They wanted nothing for themselves. Nor did they ask for anything. All they wanted was their friend to be healed. And they went to a lot of trouble because they cared. Let me go over that again. Because they cared. As God's people today, we need to be a caring people. 
We read in Romans, the 12th chapter, in verse 15, to rejoice with those that rejoice and to weep with those who weep. We're to care. We're to have concern for one another. We're being involved, need to be involved, in one another's lives. And with those outside of our church family as well. The easy thing to do is to sit back. The easy thing to do is wrap ourselves up in our own lives. Wrap ourselves up in our own problems. I, I don't have time. I can't be bothered. I don't want to get involved. But what a difference. What a difference it would make if each one of us took one or two hours a week and just invested ourselves in other people. Whatever it took, maybe it would be our money and helping in some way. Maybe it's our time. Maybe some young mother needs a little relief and for babysitting. Maybe it's someone that needs to talk. They're fearful. They need somebody to hold their hand and be with them. Might be somebody needs their yard mowed or their dog walked. Or somebody needs to be taken to the store. Or somebody needs to go to their doctor's appointment. It just may be that if we give ourselves to this, those individuals that we've helped, don't be surprised if they turn to you sometime and say, I want to know more about you. I want to know more about your faith. I want to know more about God. I want to know more about that Bible that you read. That's brought about because we took the time to care. We took the time to share someone else's life. We don't need to be afraid of getting involved with people's lives. With caring, giving, sacrificing for someone other than ourselves. James tells us in the second chapter and in verse 14 through 16, what does it profit, my brethren, if someone, say, has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which they are needed for their body, what does it profit? What does it profit? What good is our faith? Caring only means something if we do something about it. Jesus saw four men with a faith that cared. That needs to describe our faith. Our faith must be a caring faith. Second thing, Jesus saw four men who wanted to share Christ. These four didn't want to take their friend to the store. They didn't want to take their friend fishing. They wanted to take their friend to Christ. And that made all the difference in his life. Friends, I think we know. It make all the difference in other people's lives too. If we can take them to Christ. We need to be a people who want to share Christ. What greater thing could be said about anybody than they brought someone to Christ? To have someone point to you and say, He brought me to Christ. Or she brought me to Christ. What greater thing could have been said? Third thing. 
the Lord saw four men who would not give up. They brought a friend. They came near that house. They saw that it was no room. Now ask yourselves, if that would have been us, what would we have done? Oh, well, we tried. We gave it a shot, didn't we? We see that crowd. It's overflowing in the street. Oh, I guess we might as well go home. We're never going to get in. And we'd say that's a good excuse. It's a good reason not to do. It's amazing how many people today are looking for a reason to get out of doing something. Some excuse that they can use. And there's always a reason why they didn't come, why they didn't do, why they can't attend. But these four had a faith that would not quit. There was no can't do in these four men. They were determined that their friend was going to see Jesus. They had a friend that was sick. Jesus could heal. And they were going to bring the two together. No matter what it cost. And it did cost them. It cost them the time to bring their friend there. It cost them the effort to get him up on that roof. It cost them the trouble of digging through that roof. Pretty big hole. And I'm sure it cost them the favor of the people down below who had all that debris shed upon them. And it cost them the, probably the cost of the repair and materials to fix that roof that they had just dug through. But it didn't matter to them. They were willing to pay any price because they wanted to see their friend healed. Whatever it took, their faith was greater than the obstacles they faced. For us today, as Christians, as the church today, it has been said of us that our failures are not caused by our problems. Our failures are not caused by our obstacles. Our failures are caused by our lack of faith. We've already decided it's not going to work. They won't respond anyway. Can't be done. And for some reason, this seems to soothe our conscience. When we do nothing, because really it, it wouldn't have made any difference anyway, would it? We need our faith to grow. We need a faith that believes in God. We need a faith that believes in the Word of God. That God means what He says. Paul told the church in Philippi in the fourth chapter, and in verse 13, Scripture we all know by heart. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. That's not unique to Paul. He just believed. It can be said of us as well. It's what we need to strive for. The Lord's work does not have to have the most talented. Does not have to have the most intelligent. Does not have to have the strongest people. But it does have the have of people who believe in the power of God. Of people who do all they can to the best of our, their ability and then turn and rely on God to do the rest. That's faith. These four men would not admit defeat. Were there obstacles in their way? Oh yeah. Plenty of obstacles. 
But their faith found a way. Their faith found a way. And the Lord noticed them and the Lord saw their faith. Our works, our actions will make our faith visible to a world that is watching us. Jesus saw their faith and their determination and their love and concern for their friend. Let me ask you, what does Jesus see when He looks at us tonight? What does He see? Do you have faith in God? Do you believe in His words? Do you really believe what God says? Does your faith believe that Jesus can forgive your sins? If tonight you are outside of Christ, never obeyed the gospel, now is a wonderful time to act upon that faith, that belief in God and in His promises and in His words. If you've heard the Word of God and you believe it to be true, if you've repented for your sins, you have the invitation tonight to come forward to confess your belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Or if we have those in attendance tonight who have once named the name of Christ but have not been faithful to Him, the opportunity and invitation extended unto you to come forward, request the prayers of the church, and be restored once again unto your first love. If you need to obey tonight, won't you come as we stand and sing?